Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. It's a joy to be with you here tonight, and these are exciting days in the life of Open Door Bible Baptist Church and what he's doing here in Astoria. I was just thinking about the fact that um, every time we come here on a Sunday night, uh, it says there's four visitors, there's three visitors, there's many visitors. I just want to tell you how unusual that is. I mean, we've had visitors... I'm sure Pastor, usually the business meeting, he does kind of a year in review on how many people have visited the church. But uh, just this has been an extraordinary year for new people walking through the door, some just out of the blue and others through different connections, people inviting people. And it's a blessing to us, an encouragement to us. And uh, I can tell you in North Brooklyn, uh, we have our uh, midweek service on Wednesday nights um, just to kind of... Uh, free things up a little bit there. And so our meeting is quite humble uh, compared to this one. We usually have uh, just a couple people. Last night we had four adults, five adults uh, there, so which was a blessing. And uh, we've been doing a 14-week discipleship series, just kind of teaching the Christian 101, if you will, the basics of serving the Lord. And uh, God has blessed it, and God is using it uh, in our own lives. And uh, we talked about... Uh, uh, last things last night, what's going to happen in the future, and how that should affect how we live today. Having confidence, security. Uh, when you see crazy headlines, you know, hey, God's got a plan, and uh, you know, nothing surprises Him. And it's been a blessing for us. And then, of course, it's been exciting with what's going on uh, on Noble Street and the possibility of a, a miracle on Noble Street. So just keep praying about that, if you would. Um, and Pastor has been. I've talked to him a couple times, and uh, we'll just give you an example of what it's been like this week. Uh, Tuesday, I was in a fellowship meeting with some other pastors. I stepped out to talk to Pastor, who was on the phone with me and the lawyer while he was driving, and Deborah was typing something for him. Uh, so it's uh, it's been that sort of a week. So he hasn't like really been on vacation or anything. He's been working, and uh, it's been nonstop. But just some some huge blessings this week, and uh, I'm sure he'll share more with you. But it's uh, it's been good. So, well, we're in uh, Romans chapter five tonight. So let's read our text. Romans chapter five, verses one. Through five. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing the tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Let's read verse 6 as well. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this night. Lord, thank you for the grace and the mercy that uh, enables preaching to mean something more than a good speech, more than uh, effective communication. And it should be those things, Lord, but... It goes beyond that, and it touches the spiritual needs of our lives. And so, God, I pray you would do that here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I would ask you to consider with me uh, a truth, two simple truths about the Christian life, living day by day as a Christian. Number one, it's good to be a Christian. I need an amen there. It's good to be a Christian. The Christian life is a good life. Number two, it doesn't always feel that way. <laughs> it doesn't always feel that way. 
As Christians, we enjoy many benefits of a life walking with God, walking with the Creator. And, uh, but it's not without its disappointments. Uh, I want to be sure that uh, I'm not always a gloom and doom preacher, that I'm not always saying, uh, yes, God is good, but uh, you know this bad thing's going to happen, this is going to happen. I don't want to get up in the pulpit and just read the newspaper. I, I mean, is reading the newspaper like the most depressing thing in the world or you know, turning on the radio? I don't want to bring that sort of attitude into the pulpit uh, and be pessimistic all the time. I was talking uh, with Brother Henry here just a few moments ago. I was with a group of preachers the other day, and they're a good bunch, and I, and I love them, but... Uh, talking to them about the building, it wasn't all cheers. It was a lot of pessimism, a lot of, are you sure about this? Is this really something you want to get into? And, uh, you know, there's, I don't want to have that attitude all the time, but neither do I want to have kind of a happy-go-lucky, put-my-blinders-on-I've-got-the-world-on-the-string uh, sort of attitude where uh, I'm ignoring um, the real problems of life. But problems do happen. Sometimes you can start the day with all the optimism in the world, and then end the day uh, with a smile just about wiped right off your face by what happened to you during the day. You can start the day praying for a blessing and end the day praying for mercy. <laughs> you can start the day reading your Bible. And then if you're like me, you get home and you open that mailbox and sometimes you don't even want to open it. And there's a letter that says New York State Department of Finance or you know, uh, Internal Revenue Service or something like that. I believe based on this text that we have we just read that the way we deal with the pressures of life, the way we deal with the trials of life um, is by bringing what is good about being a Christian and the fact that the Christian life is a good life. And we bring that sort of attitude and that truth into our bad situations. In other words, what's being what's good about being a Christian doesn't go on pause because bad things happen and then resumes once the problem is over. No, being, what's good about being a Christian, those truths should carry right through any difficult time in our lives. And if we do this, that when pressures come into our lives, we can trust God's love will preserve us through the trial and teach us what we need to learn to help others. So that's what we're going to look at uh, here tonight. So what makes the Christian life so good? Well, I believe it's talked about very clearly here in these verses. And there's some good verses to memorize. They're quite encouraging. It starts off by saying that we're justified by faith. Look at verse number one. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified. Justification, it means being right in the eyes of the law. Being right in the eyes of the law. It's that boldness, that confidence that comes from knowing you're doing exactly what you should do. Now, the opposite of that is when you know that you've broken the law. And you know that you're guilty. Um, I'm telling you, driving in New York City teaches you about everything you need to know. When, when the Bible talks about law and grace and mercy and penalty and judgment um, and uh, all those different types of things, I find myself referencing it all the time. But when you know you parked that car right, it feels good. There's, uh, parking can be incredibly gratifying. Uh, when you get a good parking spot and it's on the right side of the street, and you know you don't have to move it. Say, I am right. I, I measured it. I walked it out. And there is no way I can get a ticket for being too close to the meter or this or that. I am good. Justification, though, goes beyond just being good. It means being guilty and being made right in the eyes of the law. That's knowing, knowing that wrong has been done, meaning they got you on camera. There was a hundred witnesses. There's no way out of it. 
and being made right. The penalty is forgiven. You're made right in the eyes of the law. Somebody uses the phrase justification uh, to understand the word justified. It's just as if I never sinned. We're made right through Jesus Christ. When he lived a righteous life and he died on our behalf, when we accept his blood on our life, God sees his righteousness. And it's right for him to do that. So when I choose to do right, God doesn't say, well, look at Mike. He's doing good. No, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, in me. He accepts his righteousness for my righteousness. Wow. Praise the Lord for that. That means I don't have to try to be the perfect Christian. You know why? Because there isn't one. (laughs) I have to try to be like Christ. I have to walk in his steps because that's what pleases the Father. And that's what chapter 3 and 4 is all about, about living that justified life, about the reconciliation that God brings to us uh, in uh, in his death. Look at back in chapter 4, just before the verses we just read, chapter 4, verse 24 and 25. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe, that's talking about Christ's righteousness, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You understand, I'm sure you do, that on that cross, he was paying your penalty. He was on your cross. He was paying your debt to God for your sin. He was your substitute on that cross. Remember the thieves on each side? How One said, we're guilty, we deserve to be here. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. He died for our justification. So we're justified. We get to live day by day with the confidence that the car is parked in the right place. That we are right and free and clear in the eyes of God's law. Why? Because of who we are? No, because the righteousness of Christ is on us. See, if you're walking around trying to... I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm, maybe I'm getting off my notes here, but maybe I'm taking it for granted that you know that as a Christian. Perhaps you don't know that as a Christian or you've, or you've forgotten that. That you're not trying to establish your own righteousness. You're not trying to get on God's good side. No, 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 no. You're not living a life of, I did my good, I did my bad, and you're trying to... If that's what you're trying to do as a Christian, you're back under the law. But God's made you free from the law through Jesus Christ. And now you live in... What your sin does is it, it breaks fellowship with Him. And to ask for forgiveness is to make that relationship right with Him so that you can walk with Him day by day. We're justified. By faith. And what does that do? In uh, verse number one, it says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were enemies with God, and now we have peace with Him. We have peace in our life. One author put it this way A believer is not responsible for having peace um, in the sense of making it, but in the sense of enjoying it. So you, you can't make peace with God, He's made peace with you. Your job is to enjoy that peace. To, to, keep, to, um, to keep yourself in his presence and in his fellowship. Jeremiah uh, 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil. John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God has given us peace in our lives, or at least we should have peace in our lives. Why? Because we have peace with God. Because the only relationship that really matters when all of life is set aside is our relationship with God. And God, you may have a co-worker where things, you're working together every day, but you know there's no peace there. You know there's a problem under the surface that needs to be dealt with. Or 
Hopefully not, but perhaps with your spouse. <laughs> you're having some sort of a silent war. <laughs> uh, the married people know what I'm talking about here. You know, you're having a silent war maybe, and uh, you're not fighting necessarily, but you know that something isn't right in that relationship. So perhaps with a family member. You got through Thanksgiving, and nobody got into a fight, but there was probably plenty to fight about. And, uh, you know, there wasn't any eruptions or anything, but um, you know that things there, there wasn't peace in the home. We don't have that with God. With God, through the Lord Jesus Christ... We are at peace with him. The fight is over. Jesus has won the battle. We've surrendered and we've given ourselves to him. And instead, and, and, and instead of being like some sort of a conqueror, he's brought us up to him and made us a child. And he's given us peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in verse number two that we have grace by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. There's grace in the Christian life. Grace is that empowerment. It's what lets you do what you can never do on your own. If I had talked to you, if you didn't grow up in church, and if I asked you 20 years ago, did you ever think that you'd be sitting in a church on a Thursday night singing hymns? I'm sure many people in here would say, yeah, you know, you never would have seen me in a church. You never would have seen me darken the door. You don't even want to know what I was doing 20 years ago, Pastor Mike. You're probably right. See, but God gives us grace. He enables us to do what we never thought we were able to do. Maybe you've experienced that grace as you've tried to push yourself to serve him more, to to read his word, to pray, to, to be a witness. Or maybe you've been thrown into that kind of grace. Preachers have a way of throwing people into God's grace. Did you know that? Hey, Last minute, something happened, and uh, can you teach this class? Can you uh, go on visitation? Can you talk to, take this for And you think, oh, I've never done that. I don't know what to do. And whew, you get pushed into it. And you know what you'll often find there? God can enable you to do it. And what is that? that does, that's God's grace. That's his empowerment, his enabling in your life as a child of God. That means you're his, and he can teach you. It's something that a parent goes through with their children, because most children are very reluctant about wanting to do anything outside of their comfort zone. And the parent has to push them. And the reason I know this is true is because over the Thanksgiving break, my children were given bicycles. And uh, they were terrified. They're too old to have training wheels. And uh, I just decided we're not doing training wheels. And they, they didn't come with training wheels. So I said, we are going to ride bikes today. Now, I would not want you... We, we took a video of them riding the bikes, but we did not video the first 20 minutes. Uh, and it's probably best. I wouldn't want you to see what it was like for the first 20 minutes. Um, but it was a lot of... Telling them, you can do it. A lot of them, I can't do it. You can do it. I can't. I can't. You can't. And just push it, push it. And once they had it, well, the rest is history. You know, often the Christian life is that way as well. There's probably plenty of areas of service you've never tried to do. And it's not because you're incapable of doing it. It's just because you're afraid. You're afraid to take the training wheels off. You're afraid to step out and do something for God. But I, can I tell you this? That once you start pedaling, it's not going to be because your own strength and balance that you're able to do it for the Lord. It's because there's amazing grace. That's the song that we sing. There's grace that will enable you to serve the Lord. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and claim that for myself. Uh, you would not have wanted to see what I looked like the first time I preached a sermon. All right, I'll embarrass myself. Most of you know. I had hair down to here. I had pants. Remember when baggy pants were popular? Those are going to come back one day. Right now it's skinny jeans. Anybody, any of the 30-somethings remember the baggy pants? I mean, they were like wider than this pulpit. I'm not kidding you. My youth pastor used to say if there was ever nuclear war, we could all hide inside of Brother Mike's pants. Um, Anyway, they're going to come back one day. 
But I was a mess. And when uh, I had an interest in serving the Lord and possibly in ministry, and that's what I looked like. And we had a New Year's Eve service, and our youth pastor, uh, the teens, ran the service. That was the first time we had ever done it. You met my youth pastor. He preached here in my ordination, and um, he's a very outgoing guy, <laughs> very outgoing guy. And um, so he decided that he was going to have the teens preach the message. So what he did was he pulled out one of his sermons that I think was typed up on a word processor or laptop or, you know, uh, laptop, dating myself a little bit there. And uh, it was typed up all nice, and it had an introduction, and a first point, and a second point, and a third point, and a conclusion. And it was all typed out very nicely. I think it was a sermon from college. And he got, I think it was three or five of us guys together, teenagers, and uh, he took his sermon. And right before service, we didn't know who was preaching. It never even crossed our minds. And none of us had ever preached a sermon before. So he took the sermon. He said, guys, you're all going to preach tonight. One person's going to start the sermon, and then you're going to come down, and the next person is going to preach the first point, and the next person is going to preach the second point. And this is like five minutes before the service started. And we said, well, what are we going to preach? So he pulled out that sermon, and he just tore it and divvied it up. You have five minutes. I think I still have the notes to that somewhere in a file. It was a mess. I think there might be a picture as well. You better believe you're not going to get to see it, but... Do you know what I found there? Grace. It was an early discovery of the rich treasure of God's amazing grace. That when we sing that song, it's more than just a feeling that we have as a Christian. It's a knowledge that God can empower us to do things we never thought was possible. We have grace in verse number two. And then verse number two concludes with we have hope of the glory. We rejoice in the hope of of the glory of God. Glory is a loaded word in the Bible. It's just a rich word. It carries multiple meanings, goes on multiple tracks, but it has the idea of what God in the future is going to do, both now in our lives. I have, I have hope in the glory of God that tomorrow he'll give me a blessed day. But I have hope in the glory of God that he's going to give blessings to our nation in the next few years. And I have hope in the glory of God, as we studied about in our Bible study last night, that one day he's going to call us out of here in the glorious rapture. And that one day he's going to um, he's going to bring his people back together, Israel. And one day he's going to judge all nations and he's going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. I have hope. I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Christians have hope in a pessimistic doom and gloom world where Uh, especially in an election season where it's just nothing but hopelessness and dread and woe and look at this and that and and we and and the world is the ice caps are melting and the, the, the polar bears are dying and and all these terrible things that are happening hey we have something to hope about we have rejoice in the hope of the glory of god that his glory is going to be revealed not only in us in our lifetime but in the future as well. We have hope. Now, did you notice those three things there deal with, they're very circumspect and they deal with every part of our lives. Peace, that's the past, what God has done for us in our life. We, we talked about grace, that's the present, what God is doing, what he's enabling in our life right now. And hope, that's the future, what God is going to do uh, in, in our lives and in the world one day. So the past, the present, and the future, the Christian has, all, has an answer for all those things in God. And we have hope. And you are proud in the right way about these things. You should be. You might need to write them down. You might need to say, you might need to remind yourself tomorrow morning. I have peace. I have grace. I have hope. 
And it makes you say that that's great. If you have those things, if you had those things in your life, then life would just be fantastic. But Paul says, I have one more thing in my life that I'm very proud of. One more thing in my life that I can celebrate. One more thing in my life that's giving me hope and encouragement. One more thing in my life that's teaching me how to live for God. And what is that? Tribulations. Isn't that what it says? Kind of an anticlimax, isn't it? And not only so, verse 3, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Did you catch that? We glory in tribulations. Glory, it's the same word he was just using to talk about the glory of God. Not only does we glory, yeah, we glory in God, absolutely, amen, brother. He glories in tribulations. That doesn't seem right. I thought, I thought we were going to have peace. Why would we talk about tribulations? I thought if I came to church, all my problems would go away. The guy on TV told me so. Doesn't God, here's a question, doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't God want me to be happy? Let's look at these verses and see. He talks about tribulations. Tribulations have the idea of the pressures of life. That while it, it, it can deal with the big major events of a health crisis, um, it, can talk, it can have the idea of talking about persecution for being a Christian, for serving the Lord. But the idea is more of an oppressive state in our lives. It's defined as an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, or economic uh, adversity is the way one dictionary uh, one author uh, defined it. It has to do with the daily pressures of life. Now, I, I love this definition. I actually found it in a collegiate dictionary. The word, the word that they use to describe this is squashed. <laughs> I love that. I want to meet that guy. That is an excellent definition. Have you ever felt squashed by the problems of life? I'm not just talking about, you know, at 530 on the end train. I'm talking about not just physical squashed, but emotionally, perhaps physically squashed, pressured. Paul says, I glory in the opportunities that life brings, that God brings into my life, where I have to experience that. Because when I go through those times... Now, he's not saying, I go through those times and, ooh, I like that. He's not being a weirdo, okay? He's not saying, God, bring on the troubles. He's saying that when he goes through that time, he has a confidence. It is a confidence that when pressures and pain come into our life, they can set off a chain reaction of development in our lives that results in hope. That those times of pressure give us an opportunity to learn and to experience the hope that comes in God in a completely different way than if everything was just going right all the time. That would be nice if that's what was happening. And many Christian authors have written books to that effect, saying that if you serve the Lord, that that is what will happen. But it would be disingenuous to tell you that, and it wouldn't be advantageous to you either. Because Paul is saying these are opportunity times in our lives to learn, to set off a chain reaction of development. So what happens when pressure happens, when that squashed feeling comes through the different problems of life, whether it be physical, mental, social, or economic? Well, the first thing that develops, the first step uh, in that chain reaction is through those tribulations, we have patience. That's what it says in verse 3, right? We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Patience 
has the idea of perseverance, steadfastness, the ability to remain under, under difficulties without giving in. Talking about planting your feet in concrete and making a stand. You're able to do that as you go through problems, as you go through the problems of life. You're able to develop patience in your life. Patience is, excuse me, not having patience is pulling up to a, the 59th Street Bridge and seeing all the gridlock and slamming your fist on the steering wheel and saying, I can't believe this. I never understood that. You can't believe this? You're in New York City. You didn't know we had traffic? People honking their horns. I mean, I'm not saying I never honk my horn, but what, you didn't know that, that it was going to be busy at 5.30? Come on now. Not having patience gives you that sort of an attitude. See, but if you've been through that tribulation before, if you've sat in that traffic before, if you've used that time to sit in traffic to listen to a good sermon or catch up on your audio Bible reading or uh, to listen to some encouraging music to make it something positive, then when you pull up to that traffic, that same bridge, you say, welcome to New York. <laughs> Here we go. Not having patience is saying, I can't stand the people I work with. I can't stand them. I have got to go find another job, Pastor. I can't stand these people I'm working with. But if you let patience, if you let God develop patience in you, you know what you, a person like that will say? Say, you know what? I love my job and nobody's going to be able to stop that. These people want to have a miserable time? Fine. I like where I am and I'm glad I have a job and I'm going to make it work. That's what patience does in a, in a person who's been through tribulation. Not having patience is... Um, Running the moment your expectations are not met. You know, yesterday I was uh, in the New York City County Clerk's Office uh, with uh, trying to get some church documents for the church on Noble Street. And it's the same office where you go to get divorce papers. And I was completely shocked at how many people were younger than me. I'm 31 years old. How many people were younger than me in there getting divorce papers? You know what a lot of... Now, there's... a thousand and one reasons as to why divorce happens and it's a tragedy every time but a lot of times and in our short experience in ministry what i have found it's simply a lack of patience a lack of just letting time and letting god work through your problems and instead of things not happening exactly the way you thought they were i watched a romance thing on tv pastor mike and let me tell you my husband he is nothing like that guy on tv you're right <laughs> Or Although usually that expectation is with the men. And what they see on the screen is not what they get. And they run. Why? No patience. No willingness to let God work through the pressures, the difficulties of life. But a patient person is going to stay with something, even if it doesn't turn out the way they expect it. Can I give a personal testimony? If you're trying to start a church in Greenpoint... Things don't happen the way you expect. <laughs> I mean, everyone here has had a front row seat as to what's been going on. And nothing is happening the way we ever expected it would. And although we're in a high right now, if you will, we're all smiles and we're excited. We can all agree there's been some lows. There's been some, hey, Pastor Mike, how's it going? Well, we had one person there today. Well, amen. <laughs> Lord's teaching us patience. And we're not done. We've got a lot more patience to go. But we've had a couple tribulations along the way. Not 
probably not as big as we're going to face. But we've had some difficulties. But you know what those difficulties have done? They've taught us some patience. They've taught us that we can wait and we can stay and we can endure and we can learn and we don't need to run every time something goes wrong. We can, we can um, continue on for the Lord. And if patience develops in you through, that, through those tribulations, you know what else you, you, you get from that? Experience. Experience. You know, experience is extremely valuable. In fact, there's an entire industry centered around the idea of people with experience. It's called coaching or life coaching or consulting. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. I think New York City spends something like over $100 million a year on consultants, on professionals to come in who have expertise in a particular field and consult with the city on different projects. That's experience. Experience, it's, that, it's character. It's that quality of being proven, dependable, and reliable. You know, if you've never had to go through a difficult time, then how can you ever claim that you're reliable? You know, the best, uh, the best resumes don't say that you made something good a little bit better. The best resumes say you made something bad into something good that you're a reformer, that you're able to, do, to take something from where it was to where it needed to be. That's a, that's a certain quality of character that comes through tribulations. A person with experience doesn't make excuses to quit because of difficulty. He does what needs to be done, no matter the obstacle. A person with experience is a battle-proven soldier. Yeah, we just had uh, Veterans Day, and if you... Uh, uh, I like when the veterans wear those black caps. You ever see that? And it usually says what war they served in or uh, what ship they served on or something like that or what mission they were involved in. And uh, we have quite a few old-timers in Greenpoint, and those guys all wear the black black hats and a few of the ladies um, as well. And I enjoy talking to them, having a donut together and a cup of coffee and talking with them about their experiences. You know, they've been through some tribulations. They've been through some difficulties, even the peacetime ones. They're battle-proven soldiers. They have experience. And then it says that after patience and experience, we have hope. Hope is a reasonable and confident expectation of a future event. You know, I'm talking about starting a church in Greenpoint, and I, I can think of a thousand things that terrify me, and then I get around a guy like Brother Clayton. And he just says, just keep going. You're going to be fine. Just keep serving the Lord. Oh, yeah, that is a problem, but the Lord's going to take care of that. And the Lord can do it. It, just, it almost seems like nothing to him. Now, it's not nothing. It's important. It's serious. It's critical. It's just that I lack that experience to know what the other side is going to be like. But here's a man who's gone through this experience over a hundred times. And he has, he has years behind him, and not just years, but he has experiences. Do you understand that there's a difference between those two things? See, you may, you may be doing something for many, many years, and that doesn't necessarily mean you have any experience. Some people say, I have 10 years experience at that job. And you look back and you find out how their 10 years went and basically nothing happened. They didn't do anything, they didn't improve anything or help anything, and they just sat there for 10 years. That's not 10 years of experience. That's probably one year of experience 10 times. But to have experience is to deal with trials as they come. To not cower from them, but deal with them head on. To get through them. 
even with scars, even with wounds, to get through them and come out on the other side having learned something. And when you've learned something, then you have hope. You have a reasonable, hope is a, is a grand and lofty word, and I hope this definition doesn't bring it too far down out of the clouds for you, but I just want to make it practical. It's having a reasonable and confident expectation of the future. I have hope for you tonight. I have hope for you because what I've experienced in my own life. I have hope for you because of what I see in the Word of God. And even, you say, Brother Mike, if you only knew the situation, I understand. And I understand that it may, may, may not turn out well at all. It may turn out bad. We've been through a, bad, a few bad times ourselves, even this year. But can I tell you, there's hope. And through those tribulations, we've learned to have patience. And through that patience, we've gained some experience. And from those experiences, we can have hope. You know, the only reason we have any hope that God's going to do something down there on Noble Street, like I said, I met with those other pastors and a couple of them were like, run, you know. You don't want to be involved in that. The only reason we have any hope is because for the last 15 years in this building, there's been tribulations after tribulation after tribulation. But through that tribulation, there's been patience. And through that patience, there's been experience. And I wish you all could have came and saw Pastor Montoro talking with the engineers and the people from the city. I mean, he would have made you, he, he made you proud, let me tell you. I mean, I know we're not talking about pride and all that and lifting people up, but he would have made you proud. I mean, it was incredible to see the years of experience and dealing with all the problems here. And I can, I can remember when we first came here, and this wall like wasn't here. It was stripped down to the brick. Remember that? All the plastic was up. And we were having service with the scaffolding in here and a mess. And I think when we, when we came here after deputation, or before, was it before? And we were putting up the drop ceiling. And so they had to pull all the tiles down, and it was nasty up there, remember? And uh, it was just a mess. Through all those tribulations, through all those difficulties, there's been experience gained. There's been um, patience and experience. And from that experience, now, as we're looking at Noble Street, there's hope. There's hope. And where somebody might say, and I, we had a contractor come by yesterday and look at the place. And as soon as he stepped out of his car, he goes, you don't have enough money to fix this place. <laughs> you know? And he was just jaw dropped. And he just was like surrendered immediately. I don't think we'll be hiring him. He just immediately surrendered. But, you know, another one came the day before. And you know what he said? He says, we could do this. He says, it's not as bad as it looks. And, and you, you say, was he trying? Does, does, he, does that mean he, he doesn't understand the situation? No, it probably means... He's done this enough. He's done it for long enough to know that it can be done. You know what? Some, I, I, what something I like about this pulpit is we get a lot of the old-time preachers come, come through here. I mean, Pastor, he has younger guys preach, like myself. I like to think I'm a younger guy. But he also has a lot of older men preach, a lot of guys that can barely get up these steps. And they just throw themselves down on this thing, and they preach. You say, why would he do that? Because it's those kind of men that give us hope. That most of the old-timers you meet are a bunch of cranky grouches, aren't they? Ugh, miserable sometimes. But it's amazing to get around an older person that can give you hope. That through the trials and tribulations of life have let God develop patience in them. Have let God develop experience in them. And that they want to share that experience with others. Not to make other people feel inadequate or small or helpless or, oh, you'll never be like it was in the good old days. But those old-timers that come... And they fulfill these very words, and they give you hope. Brother Horton was like that. Every time he came here, he would give hope. Now, he dealt with the problems, and he, I can, 
We sat together down together one time, and he scared me to death when he started talking about what it was going to take to be here. I mean, he really did. But it was on purpose. But he didn't end it there. He gave hope from his experiences, from the lifetime of serving God, to say, hey, God can do it. There is hope. And hope makes not ashamed. What do, we, what do we have to base all this on? How can we trust that this chain reaction will not be our undoing? That when some trial or tribulation comes into our life, that it won't just be the end of us and it won't destroy us? Well, the hope we have is because Christ went through it himself. Look at it in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom now we have received the atonement. You see, Christ had the patience and experience and hope that these very verses talk about. That he went through difficulties in his time here on earth. And he handled them. He taught the, the Sermon on the Mount, and then he lived the Sermon on the Mount. He showed us, uh, he showed us perfection. He showed us how to live a life by the grace of God. And he showed us, from, in, even from his experiences on earth, which were such a short time, really, I mean, his earthly ministry, only really less than three years. I mean, a very brief time. He showed us eternal truths to meet every situation in our life. And those experiences give us hope. I would ask you tonight, do you have hope in your life? You know, one of the things that unites us all is that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. We've turned from our sins. We put our faith in him. And so we have hope. Not only do we, the reason that we have hope today is because we have hope of eternity. See, our path makes more sense. The tribulation, if you're walking on a path and, you know, the path is bumpy and it's rough and there's twists and there's turns and there's people attacking you on the path and there's, there's all kinds of problems, you would say, let's go a different way. But if that path was to some great treasure was to some great riches, where if all you had to do was get through that path, you could have some great prize, or even better, you could have eternal life. Well, then that path doesn't seem so bad. That narrow way starts to make perfect sense. And when you find out that you've got all the tools and equipment and an experienced guide to take you through it, well, then what you have, my friend, is hope. And you have hope to walk that path. Harry Ironside tells the story of the testimony of a small church meeting in the South where an illiterate young girl stood up to give a testimony. And she said that she was always blessed by the words in the Bible and it came to pass. She said, when I was upset by my troubles, I'd go to the Bible. I'd never get far before I'd read. It came to pass. And I'd say, bless the Lord. It didn't come to say came to pass. It's a simple understanding that our trials are taking us somewhere to serve the Lord. Let me end with this tonight. One poet put it this way. The easy roads are crowded. The level roads are jammed. The pleasant little rivers where the drifting folks are crammed. But off yonder where it's rocky, where you get a better view, 
You will find the ranks are thinning and the travelers are few. Where the going smooth and pleasant, you will always find the throng. For the many, more's the pity, seem to like to drift along. But the steps that call for courage and that task that's hard to do, in the end results in glory for the never wavering few. Don't let every setback in your life frustrate you. Don't let every problem in your life give you a reason to jump ship, to get out, to give up on the Lord. No, every trial and tribulation in your life is an opportunity to learn more about his grace, more about his love, and give you the patience and hope that you'll one day be able to give to others. Let's bow for prayer. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the music begins to play. If you're facing a trial, know that God is with you. But also know this, we're with you too. You got brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't want you to go through it alone. As the music begins to play, as Brother Franz comes to lead the invitation, the altars are open. If God's spoken to your heart tonight, I've intentionally been vague in application. I want to call out everybody's problems in the room. I don't know them and I don't end and I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. But God does. If God's spoken to your heart tonight, bring that before him. Say, God, start me down this road. I'm tired of frustration. I want to learn. Help me to have patience with that coworker. Have patience with my spouse. Have patience with my neighbor. 